Trust and obey. There's wisdom in trusting and obeying God. We talk a lot about wisdom this morning, and I hope that you will seek after wisdom as Solomon did. Today we return in our study to the book of Ecclesiastes. As Solomon, who is writing, he is here called the preacher. He speaks to us about life under the sun. And we've heard his conclusion from the very beginning. So we already know ultimately where he will end up. Vanity. All is vanity. But the preacher helps us greatly by not only giving us the conclusion, but by recounting the details of his quest for meaning in life under the sun. Searching for meaning to life is a question of philosophy. It's a question that we might ask. It's a question that we do ask. And someone has wisely said that philosophy sometimes asks questions which can only be answered by theology. I think that's what we have here in this question for a meaning in life. This is the quest and this is the conclusion of the preacher. Is there true and lasting meaning to be found in life under the sun? By giving us the question and giving us the final answer at the very outset, the preacher helps us to learn from his experience and to draw on his wisdom. So how wise would we be then to gain from the wisdom of the wisest man to ever live? And even greater to gain wisdom from the word of God. So if you found Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 12. This is the word of God. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I gave my heart to seek and search out my wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Verse 14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. And that which is wanting cannot be numbered. 16. I communed with my own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have gone before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief. He that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Heavenly Father, we come asking your blessing now on our time in your word. We pray that you would open our hearts to your truth. We pray, God, that you would forgive us 
where we have sought fulfillment, where we have sought purpose in life, away from you and apart from you. Now help us to be instructed by your word. Help us to be instructed from the words of Ecclesiastes. Apply these things to our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the purpose of life? Maybe the cynic would ask the question a different way. Is there a purpose of life? If we wanted to be personal, what is your purpose? This is philosophy's great question. It's also asked in a different way in the three questions of philosophy. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? These questions and the question of purpose and meaning in life, they come to us all in some form or another. We all seek after an answer to this. An Irish playwright contributed his answer to the quest for meaning in life. Samuel Beckett wrote what I think might be the shortest play known to man. In the direction for his play called Breath, the play was to only be 40 seconds long. I thought about how upset I would be if I bought a ticket to go to that but his play, he instructed it would be 40 seconds long. It'll take me longer to describe it to you than the play takes. It was to be 40 seconds long. It begins with darkness and you hear the cry of a newborn baby. And then a greatly amplified sound of a person drawing in a single breath as the lights gradually go up on stage, revealing the stage covered in garbage. Then... As the lights slowly dim, we hear the breath being exhaled. Then another newborn baby crying. And that's the end of the play. Learning that Samuel Beckett was not a Christian was not surprising, considering the dismal commentary that he had on life. His, his play seems to say that life is garbage. And I don't know if Samuel Beckett, he was raised in a Christian home. I don't know if he ever read Ecclesiastes. But there are things in his play which agree with Ecclesiastes, which agree with the preacher. And there are things where there are differences. Uh, the first thing I think that agrees with Ecclesiastes, a 40 second play as a commentary on life certainly does speak to life as being short as being passing, but a vapor. The sound of a newborn baby at the beginning and then at the end of the sound of another newborn baby agrees, I believe, with the weary-go-round, the endless weary-go-round presented to us in Ecclesiastes. One generation passes away and another is introduced. And the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us that life is a vapor, life is a breath. Beckett seems to have a, a biased view that life is garbage. Now, as we progress in our study of Ecclesiastes, I think that we'll find that 
there are differing things in life. There are lions and there are dogs. There are wise and there are foolish. There's ignorance and there is knowledge. And the preacher makes it clear that while ultimately the final end of all things is the same, life for each of these different things can be better or worse. I began by saying, I hope you pursue wisdom. And the preacher will tell us pursuing wisdom is better than pursuing folly. Beckett, his play only paints a picture of life as garbage. And, and I hope that by the study and then the application of the wisdom of the preacher in Ecclesiastes, that we will be able to live something better than a garbage life. So we turn to our text, verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. As Solomon sets out to brief us on the details of his study, his experimental quest to find meaning in life, he begins with a sort of resume here. In order to entice us to listen to him and to trust what he says, he gives us his pedigree. Now anyone can say they considered life under the sun. But if we're honest, for most of us, we would, we would have to admit we would not do a great job on this type of quest. We would find ourselves limited. Limited in one way or another, or maybe limited in many ways. If we set out to find lasting meaning in life, I, I know I would run out of money about three days in. Setting out to find life and meaning in life, I, I would run out of finances. Some may be limited to a relatively small geographical area. Your passport's expired. You may not be able to, um, to find as much study material. Some of us would be limited by our knowledge, not necessarily formal education. Uh, we find that many people have degrees to hang on the wall and those degrees somehow didn't come with knowledge. But some of us, many of us, let's say most of us would be limited in our quest to find meaning in life. We'd be limited by our lack of knowledge of the world. And most of us, even if we had knowledge, even what knowledge we did possess, we wouldn't know how to best use that knowledge. We wouldn't use it in the best possible way. We would find ourselves limited. And for that reason, the preacher gives us his qualifications. First, he is the preacher. I, the preacher. He is the preacher. He is the one who has gathered the assembly and has information to present. The title preacher indicates some level of expertise. This expertise uh, in some could be from study, in others it may be from experience, and with Solomon we find that it's both, both study and experience. The first reason that we should listen to Solomon is that he is the preacher. Secondly, he was king. This encompasses many things which would qualify him to speak to the subject at hand. 
first thing that came to my mind is a king has to be a listener before he is a speaker. Now, now I want to just give us something a by the way here. There are things that we can pick up along the way as we go through this study. And if we take them to heart and live by them, they can be of great value. They can enhance our life. And the first thing that we see here is that a king has to be a listener before he's a talker. We should say a good king, a wise king, a king who will rule for any length of time because a king who doesn't listen will be a bad king. He'll be a fool and he'll likely be quickly deposed. But a good, wise king listens and listening is an excellent quality for one who sets out on a quest to find meaning in life. As King Solomon is king, he is a listener, but he also has access to resources as a king that most people would not have. Solomon will not run out of money three days into his quest. He can call on the greatest minds of his day and they will come. Even if they're not his subjects, they'll take his call. Because he is a king, he has resources. I, the preacher's king over Israel. The preacher was king over Israel. He did not rule over a barbarian land, a barbarian people. He was king over the nation of people with understanding and intellect. They were a wise people. Under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the nation of Israel. They were God's chosen people. So this country and by extension their king had great privilege and were granted great favor because they were God's chosen people. And Solomon was the preacher, the king over Israel. And then fourthly, the preacher says, I was king over Israel in Jerusalem. So he was at the epicenter, if you will. This was the place, this was the center of Yahweh worship. This is where the temple would be located. This, this was the city that would have the wisest of the priests, the seats of justice, the assemblies or the colleges which gathered the wisest men in the nation. And this is where he was. This is where he ruled. Verse 13, I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to them, uh, given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Having given us a sufficient resume, qualifications that would entice us to listen, now the preacher turns to present for us the manner in which he undertook this quest. The task to seek and to search out all the things done under heaven, under the sun. Solomon, how, how did he approach this task? How did he come to this quest? With what attitude, with what mind would he come? And he says here in verse 13, I gave my heart. I gave my heart. Now, this was no flash in the pan, momentary distraction. How many of us have taken up a task only to be bored with it very shortly and lay it down and it never gets completed? This task, as Solomon says, I gave my heart. 
This task would not be laid aside after the new wore off, after it proved to be more difficult than he first thought. He gave his heart, and this speaks more, this speaks to more than emotion. This speaks to total engagement. I gave my heart its total engagement. Listen to what John Gill says. As he had all advantages and opportunities, so he did not want for industry and application to obtain knowledge, he gave his mind to it. He took up a resolution not to be discouraged by any difficulties, but to break through them if possible. He set about to work with great readiness and cheerfulness. He had a price in his hand to get wisdom and he had a heart unto it and he pursued it with all diligence, with all his might and main, nor did he content himself with a superficial knowledge of things, but searched after the least known and obscure learning and penetrated into the utmost recesses of it to find out all that was to be known. He gave his heart to this task. And then we find in the final phrase of verse 13, as is his way, the preacher again gives us a short synopsis from his findings. He says, this sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Life is, he tells us, travail. Now the ESV says life, it says here, this unhappy business. The New King James, this burdensome task. The 95 New American Standard says this grievous task. All these things indicating a labor. I prefer travail here. The word travail is used to describe a continuing work, a, specific, a particularly distressful work. Travail is used in scripture to speak of a woman in labor. John 16 speaks about the sorrow of a woman in travail. And this life, the preacher says, is sore travail. That can speak to physical labor or it can speak to mental anguish. So it can be painful sorrow or sorrowful pain. Sore travail, physical, emotional, mental anguish. Life is full of sore travail. Solomon, by his experience, found that obtaining wisdom and knowledge only comes in this life under the sun through sore Travail. The literal translation would be something like this evil business. So allow me to remind us now that Ecclesiastes does not sugarcoat things. Someone said earlier this week, I hope, I hope the church doesn't grow weary in our study of Ecclesiastes. I hope you won't. If you do, please tell me. Please tell me so we can we can work on that. But Ecclesiastes is not sugarcoated. This is raw, undiluted truth. And sometimes it is difficult to swallow. 
but like bitter medicine. If we can get it down, hold your nose, whatever it takes. If we can get it down, it will be good for us. We are better for having heard the difficult truths. And you will not find wisdom and knowledge in this life under the sun without this evil business, without sore travail. And the preacher tells us that the pursuit of meaning Wisdom and knowledge in this life is burdensome, it's weary, it's evil business. And he tells us with brutal honesty that this, that this is given to us from God. I mean, look at the verse. This sore travail hath God given. Now we'll mention that now, but we'll come back to it later. This sore travail hath God given. Let's continue to verse 14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun and behold all is vanity and vexation of spirit. I have seen all the works. The preacher has not just given, given a passing glance. He has diligently sought out the truth and in great part he has understood what he has observed all the works which are done under the sun. And as he sought this out, as he has observed, as he has understood, he says, behold, behold. Now this, this indicates to us something surprising. If the preacher found something surprising, then chances are that we will also find it surprising. He says, behold, it's all vapor, vanity, Remember our word, Havel. We've considered this already. This is the word that is most used in Ecclesiastes. And this comes as no surprise. But then he says, vexation of spirit. Now that's a surprise. Vexation of spirit. This, this speaks to disappointment. This speaks to a troublesome affliction that can break a man's spirit or break a man's mind. The knowledge of this world is wearisome to obtain. And then once grasped, the knowing is troubling. The knowing is vexation. The modern translations say striving after the wind. Instead of vexation of spirit, they say striving after the wind. And it gives us the same idea of something that is unfulfilling. And it makes a fool out of me. You ever chased the wind? I've never chased the wind, but I've chased a piece of paper that dropped out of my pocket that was being blown by the wind. I feel like a fool because you reach down to get you find you catch it, you reach down to get it, and then it blows again, and then you catch it, you reach down to get it, and it blows again. That's chasing after something that is blown by the wind, but chasing after the wind is even less fulfilling, even less rewarding. Striving after the wind. There's, there's something here for man which does not exist for the rest of creation. The scripture tells us that all of creation groans under the effects of sin. But we who are made after God's image are particularly troubled in a quest for meaning, for purpose in life under the sun. 
It's, it's specific to man. Your dog is not looking for meaning. The cattle in the field are not concerned with purpose in life. But man is consumed with meaning and purpose, with, with knowing the reason. Why are we here? And, and we seek to put things straight. Verse 15, that which is crooked cannot be made straight. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. What is bent can't be put back. You can't come to a fallen world and just set it back upright. This fallen world is bent. It is crooked. It is out of whack. And it says that it's wanting. It's lacking. Brian Mortman said this is like trying to put together a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. And when you get started, you all know how to put together a puzzle, right? You start with the corners and the edges. When you get started in this thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, you find that there are no corners. They're missing. And there are no edges. And then when you start to assemble the field of the puzzle, you realize big parts are missing. Just gone. And I would add to his illustration that for many of us, the picture on the box is nothing like what we find inside. It's, it's wanting, it's lacking. Life under the sun is bent. It's missing pieces. It cannot be numbered. Uh, two plus two will never come out to be ten. There will always be a net loss. There will always be a discrepancy. We would say it this way. It just doesn't add up. Life doesn't add up. Verse 16, the preacher says, I communed with my own heart saying, Lo, I am come to great estate. I have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. In verse 16, you may find comfort here if you talk to yourself. Because that's what Solomon says here. I communed with my own heart. <laughs> he's talking to himself. Now he's not answering himself. But watch it. But if you talk to yourself, you're in good company. Solomon communes with his own heart and he recounts to himself the greatness of his wisdom and knowledge. This is divinely received from the Lord. We just read earlier in our service how God had granted very young Solomon to have whatever he asked and Solomon asked for wisdom. God gave him other things that he, uh, all that he could desire really, but he gave him great wisdom so that Solomon would be wiser than any who came before or after him. So note here that the wise man, the wisest man sought to gain more wisdom and knowledge. Now that's, that's a tidbit for us. The wise man seeks more wisdom and knowledge. Just a definition. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is knowing how to rightly employ knowledge. Knowing how to rightly use knowledge. Understanding how to properly 
put knowledge to work. That's wisdom. And the wisest man to ever live sought to increase in knowledge and wisdom. Verse 17, I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. We learn here how Solomon's quest covered the gamut. He knew wisdom as well as madness and folly. Some things may be best understood when we understand the negative of their opposite. You want me to say it again, don't you? Some things may be best understood when we understand the negative of their opposite. If you want to understand knowledge, you need some grasp of ignorance. If you want to realize what is right, you need to work out what is wrong. You can know truth by knowing error and understanding that truth is the opposite of what is false. If you will grasp good fully, grasp good, then you must evaluate evil. Matthew Poole says this, that I might thoroughly understand the nature and difference of truth and error, virtue and vice, all things best being understood by contraries and might discern if there were any opinion or practice amongst men which would give him full satisfaction. Verse 18, for in as much uh, for in much wisdom there is much grief. He that increaseth in knowledge increaseth in sorrow. You must be careful in verse 18 not to lose heart. In much wisdom there is much grief. Now, that doesn't mean we don't seek wisdom. The wise man seeks wisdom. But Ecclesiastes tells us, without sugarcoating anything, that as we come to more wisdom, we come to more grief. As we increase in knowledge, we increase in sorrow. The preacher will tell us very soon that wisdom is greater than folly, that knowledge is better than ignorance. But now he tells us the more you know, the more there is to sorrow over. The more wisdom you have, the more grief you have. I think about the PhD candidates that we've had in our church over the years studying many different fields, technology, literature, mathematics. And what surprises me about most of them is that the more they study, the more they are faced with their ignorance. The more you know, the more you know how much you don't know. This crooked bent world that does not add up, where the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom does not bring purpose or meaning to the preacher. He has not yet found fulfillment under the sun. Now, he will continue here in this text. He's searching for purpose and meaning and fulfillment in wisdom and in knowledge. This will not be the end of his pursuit. 
but he has not yet found it. He has not yet found fulfillment. He's not yet found contentment between the birth, labor, death cycle of man. Boy, ending here would be depressing. But I want us to remember verse 13. Where the preacher tells us that this, this world, the way it is, this is by God's doing. Remember last week we read from Romans that God has made the world crooked. He says here, this sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. God has given us this vexing, troublesome, evil business where we strive after the wind. Is God evil? Is God a big meanie just tormenting humanity? Now we know that mankind fell and the whole of creation is under the curse of sin. And we know that this is greatly due to God's holiness. But is there more reason? Is there more purpose for the fall? For the bent, crooked world? God is holy, therefore sinful man is cursed. Is the curse and the fall bad for man? Is the vanity and the vapor, the vexation of sinful man in a fallen world only to man's detriment? I present to you, no. Now there is certainly difficulty, there's certainly hardships, there are thorns and thistles. Bread only comes through sweaty labor. And for the lost Man or woman, this is the best it will ever be. But because God has made man after his own image, because God has placed within us an eternal soul, because he has given us eyes to see justice and righteousness, and though it may be far from reality in our world, we still long for it. And through longing for rightness, through yearning for straightness, through a God-given desire for things to add up, we are, Christians, thoroughly dissatisfied with life under the sun. That's where we should be. This fallen world, our own fallenness, Gives us a sense of dissatisfaction with the way things are. So do we just take our discontentment and go home? Take our dissatisfaction and it ends there? No, this dissatisfaction with the way things are should send us on a quest to find meaning and purpose that lasts. And friend, we must listen to the preacher. I mean, if we're going to set out on our own quest to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment, the wise thing to do is listen to the preacher first to heed Solomon's wise counsel. 
Lasting meaning and purpose will not be found searching under the sun. With all the resources of Solomon, with all the wisdom of Solomon, with, with all that the world has to offer, there is no lasting peace. This dissatisfaction with life under the sun calls us to look elsewhere, to seek the saving. Only in Jesus Christ will we find where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. Only in Christ will we find purpose. Only in Christ will we find meaning. Only in Christ will we find contentment and fulfillment. Only in Christ will we find peace. Christians, brothers and sisters, Waco family, let us stop ignoring the words of the preacher let us stop seeking purpose, meaning, fulfillment, and contentment in stuff under the sun. We do that, don't we? If, I, if we had the house, if our house was done, well, then we'd be happy. If I had that better job, if I got that promotion, if I got that raise, then I'd be happy. I've heard so many single people say, if I could find the right spouse, then I would be fulfilled and content. We, we seem to be searching after something that eludes us and we'll never find it in life under the sun. We'll never find it chasing after the wind. We'll never find it in this evil business. If you can't be content with Christ, you can't be content. I remember the testimony of our brother, you know if I call him by name, Dave, who stood and spoke about, as he came to Christ, he lost everything. His wife left him, he lost his business, Children went with his wife, all because he came to Christ. And the words of my brother were, when I had nothing but Christ, I found that he was all I needed. Christians, our prayer should be, God, whatever it takes for me to be content with you, whatever it takes for me to be satisfied with you, Take away every distraction. Take away every encumbrance. Take away everything from me that, that keeps me from you. Only in Jesus Christ will we find meaning, will we find purpose. Only in him will we find peace. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would apply these things to our hearts. Forgive us where we have pursued what can only be found in you. 
God, help us. Help us by the, the aid of your word, by the aid of your church, most especially by the aid of your spirit to seek after you and to be content with you. God, we pray that these words would not quickly depart from our ears until they have accomplished the work for which you have sent them. We ask this in Jesus' name.